well, I need to take him everywhere I go. <laughs> Introduce me. I appreciate those kind words. I love your pastor. It's a dear friend that I guess we talk. Some, I mean, some days I don't chime in. Just too busy. I listen to those guys talk. But we talk nearly every day. And I appreciate him, and I'm grateful to be here tonight with you. And to be in this service, I guess it was God's providence to sandwich me between two greats. Cameron Dula, who has the favor of God, noted author, and just a wonderful speaker, has his master's degree in Dr. Carr, podcast extraordinaire, Bible college teacher, host of our author of the greatest website ever orchestrated, the Sermon Notebook, then me. I have dogs. <laughs> that's, about, that's about all you can say about me, that I got dogs. But I'm grateful to be here and have looked forward to coming and being in service with you tonight and in praying for your services. I hope to get to make it back down one night this week and hear Dr. Carr but I'll be tuning in on Facebook either way and praying for you from a distance. I want you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn to the book of Galatians. If you would, Paul's letter, the churches of the region of Galatia, and I'll be reading in chapter number 1. If you'd find your place there, Galatians chapter number 1. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 9 tonight. Galatians chapter number 1. The church I pastor, I've been preaching through the book of Galatians. And uh, as I was praying over the last couple of weeks about this service, the Lord really turned my heart and attention back to verses 6 through 9 for this service. And I don't know, I was thinking on the way up here, was this a revival sermon or not? I don't know how to classify that stuff. I hear some preachers say, you know, I have my Sunday morning services and then I have my conference sermons and my revival sermons and I just have messages the Lord's let me study and preach from place to place if however he wants to fit it that's his business but I know the word of God is alive and quick and powerful and I know tonight that what he has to say to us from this text is what he wants us to hear and what he wants us to receive tonight so I trust you'll pray for me for a few moments that God would help me Galatians chapter number 1, verse 6. The apostle says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. Our Father, as we bow in your divine presence, we come first of all, Lord, ask you to forgive us of every sin, of every iniquity of every shortcoming, of every failure of our flesh. Who can ascend the holy hill but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart? 
Our desire tonight, Lord, is to ascend the hill of worship as we sit and listen to Your Word. We thank You, our Father, for Your Word. We thank You that every word of this sacred text and every word in this precious book that I've read tonight, Lord, is inspired. It's breathed out from God. It's profitable for doctrine. We thank our Father for preserving it free from error through the generations so that what I read to your people tonight is nothing less than the words of the living God, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray tonight as I stand, Lord, that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit and make me a mouthpiece of your precious word. My desire tonight, Lord, is to declare unto your people what you've said in this text. And to that end, I pray the Spirit of God would help my infirmities and help me to preach, Lord, tonight the preaching that I'll be glad I preach when I stand before you in the judgment. I pray for this people tonight that you would ready their hearts to receive your word. Father, it's not the hearer of the word that's justified, but it's the one that hears and does the word of the Lord. May we hear tonight and may we do what you would call us to do from this sacred text. I pray, Lord, for your presence among us, for your effectual working power, that your will would be accomplished in our hearts and lives tonight. All that you're pleased to do in us and through us and for us. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening on the way back from service this morning to Brother Cameron's sermon. It was a wonderful sermon and encouraged me greatly. In his sermon, I hope you heard what he said concerning uh, the love of the church and the love in the church. And he made a comment about uh, when it comes to secondary matters in the church, matters for which we may disagree on, that we should strive to love one another in spite of our differences over these secondary matters. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Too long the church has just simply pointed our guns at each other and attempted to destroy one another, uh, one another over things that ultimately don't matter, things of lesser degrees of importance. That's a topic of discussion amongst a lot of ministry leaders in this day, and, and there's a lot of discussion about how we define those matters. It's amazing. Some people look at matters that are objectively matters of lesser importance, but to them, they're very important. And they become primary. So how do we define that? How do we look at that? Well, I was thinking on the way back down here about how I might frame that. And to me, in my opinion, a matter of secondary importance, a secondary issue when it comes to the Christian faith is something about which we can have varying perspectives and not destroy the Christian message. That's a matter of secondary importance. Style of music, for instance. You may sing it one way at your church. I may sing it another way at my church. But how you sing it here and how I sing it there does not destroy the Christian message, does not destroy the Christian faith. On and on, we could go down a list and use that to stratify that list. When we do think about that, there are some things, however, that if we uh, go against God's Word, if we take a another direction than what God has declared in His Word, we do ultimately lose the Christian faith. 
it really becomes nothing other than just a self-help system, something for us to feel better about ourselves in this world. And there's a lot of things that I could talk about tonight when it comes to that. But obviously, you can tell from the text the issue that's on my mind tonight. The issue that was on the mind of the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter is an issue of primary importance. It is one that if we are not right on, it's one that if we are not absolutely in alignment with what God has said in His Word, then we cease to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ and really reveal ourselves as never being a church at all. If we're wrong on this issue, we are not Christians. We are not saved. We have no saving message. And we're really just deluding ourselves and wasting our time meeting here tonight and any other time. That issue, of course, is the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can think of no higher issue. I can think of no other subject that demands our full attention and an issue for which we must be right on than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Without it, we have no saving message. Without the gospel, preached as God has revealed it to His apostles and His holy prophets in the New Testament, foreshadowed in the Old Testament, brought to full light at the cross of Jesus Christ, and penned under inspiration of God by His holy apostles in the Word of God, preserved for us under this present hour. If we are wrong on that issue, then we've missed everything. Doesn't matter how wonderful your worship may be. Doesn't matter how passionate your praise team may be. How sincere your pastor may be. If the church is not unified in its gospel message, and if that gospel message is not the gospel that's revealed for us in the New Testament, then everything is just smoke and mirrors. We are really lost tonight. That was the issue that was facing the churches of Galatia. Unlike Paul's other letters, this, this letter is written to churches collective. It's not written to one singular uh, congregation such as the church at Ephesus or the church at Corinth. Paul is writing very early on in his ministry, perhaps the first letter that he ever put pen to paper. And he's writing about this issue of the gospel. It's been called Paul's most on-the-offense letter. Paul uses what we would call in this day salty language in this letter. Paul kind of loses his statesmanship and his statesman approach to people and issues and really from the word go draws the sword in the book of Galatians and goes on the offense. I wouldn't say Paul tolerated error in his other letters, but Paul was gentle sometimes in his other letters. Consider just the letters that have come before this one tonight, First and 2 Corinthians. Consider how he dealt with that church. Consider the mess that they were in in that church. Consider the fact that in that church you had divisions over who baptized who. You had people aligning themselves with one minister versus another. You had people in that church that were so spiritual that they thought they were baptized by Jesus Himself. You had folks committing fornication in that church that Paul said was not even named among 
the Gentiles. They were fussing and fighting over meat, offered to idols, over marriage. Anything that they could divide over in the church of Corinth, they were divided over it. And yet Paul wrote a glowing letter to them telling them that they come behind no church in any spiritual gift. He wrote to them about their spiritual giftedness and about the grace that was theirs. Consider the treasure chest that the book of Ephesians is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Consider the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Such a loving letter. A letter filled with commendation for their care for Him. And even though these churches no doubt had issues in them, I think this issue that is at issue in the letter to Galatians was not an issue in these other churches. This letter contains no commendation. There's no glowing language in the letter to the churches at Galatia. Because what was at stake was not their understanding on uh, doctrines concerning God's sovereignty or giving to gospel missions. What was at stake was not the order of, of church leadership, elders, bishops, and deacons. What was at stake was not how they observed the communion supper. What was at stake was not the mode of baptism. No, what was at stake in the churches of Galatia was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ itself. And when it comes to that, there's no time for flowery language. When it comes to that, there's no passes that can be given. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, we must take all diligence to make sure that we are right concerning the gospel. If we're wrong concerning other doctrines, we can still be right with God as it were, but we may just ask uh, one of my dear preacher friends that went to heaven about three years ago. He said, God's people are right in their hearts. He said, but a lot of times they're messed up in their heads. We can be messed up in our heads about a great many things. I'm sure that if we were to survey this crowd tonight, there would be a varying opinions on any number of subjects. One person said one time, when you have three or four Baptists gathered together there, you'll have five or six opinions. And that's about right. Now, I don't know how you see some doctrines concerning the Word of God. I don't know what your, what your stance on the end times is. I don't know what your eschatological persuasion may be tonight. I don't know if you're a continuationist or a cessationist. I don't know how you feel about modes of baptism or anything. I mean, I have a good understanding, a good idea with this being a Baptist church, and I hope you do as well tonight. But on and on we could go on these lists of doctrines. But beloved, if there is not a proper understanding and a proper receiving of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just messed up in your head, you're messed up in your heart, and you are damned for all eternity. Paul pulls the sword pretty quick in Galatians and begins to wield it with the fervor of the Spirit when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What? was being preached among the churches of Galatia was what Paul called another gospel. This other gospel or another gospel was essentially Jesus plus works. That's essentially what it was. Not to complicate the issue, but there were those that we've come to know as Judaizers. They're not called as such 
in, in the Word of God, but that's a good term for them because their contention was that the gospel essentially makes you a full-fledged Jew. It essentially brings you into the promises of God. Even though you were as Gentiles, aliens, and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 2, you are not a Jew by birth, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ makes you a Jew. And so making you a Jew, you need to conform to the outward signs of being a Jew. You need to be circumcised. If you have received the Lord Jesus, you need to be circumcised. They didn't have a problem with the message of the man Jesus Christ, but it was about what about it was about what the gospel commands and demands out of your life. Once you receive Jesus Christ, this is who the gospel makes you. And in their eyes, the gospel made our identity a Jew. And so being a Jew, we needed to be circumcised. We needed to observe certain laws and certain rituals. This was a, this was an issue in the early church, even so much that one chapter in the book of Acts is recorded for you tonight to understand how the early church dealt with this issue. Does the gospel make you a Jew? Well, Paul said that you are a Jew inwardly, but the gospel does not make you one outwardly. And these Judaizers were, were, were forcing these converts to receive outward signs of the covenant, outward signs of being included in God's grace. And if you did not receive these signs, if you did not conform to these demands, well, your salvation was not only suspect, you were lost in their eyes. You were not a part of God's people. If you don't conform to these signs, then you're not a part of God's family. You're not a part of God's people. You must receive Jesus. That's fine. But on top of that, you need to receive circumcision, observe rituals and diets and days, and conform your life to the Jewish standard. You must receive these commandments and do these things or you are not a part of God's elect or a part of God's redeemed family. And they argued about that in the book of Acts chapter 15. There were certain brethren that came down from Jerusalem that was preaching that message that you must be circumcised. And when Paul heard about it, he and some others went to the, went to Jerusalem to discuss this matter with the apostles. And I'm not going to go through the whole history of that tonight. You know what came forth from that. There were those that stood up and said, we're defending God's heritage. We're defending the Old Testament. We're defending God's ways. And then Peter stood up and said, hey, I was one of them too. I, I, I thought just like them. You can read the book of Acts all the way up until Acts chapter 10. Peter would preach the gospel to none but the Jews only. But there was a call that came to Peter to come down to the house of a certain Greek centurion by the name of Cornelius. This was a man that feared God and prayed. And the Bible tells us that Peter would not go. He was on the rooftop one day and he fell into a trance. And as he fell into a trance, the Bible tells us there was a sheet that was let down from heaven. And there was all manner of beasts on this sheet. And the Lord told Peter, I love Peter. He's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. He's sort of like me. He knew how to open up his mouth and insert his foot at various occasions. 
It argued with the Son of God. You remember one time, Jesus said that He was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Though all men will forsake you, I will never forsake you. He was arguing with the Son of God. The very one that just a few breaths before that, He had said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus had told him that He was blessed because He had received that not by flesh or blood, but His Father which was in heaven had showed him that. And then the very next conversation, he's arguing with the one that he called the Son of God. He let down that sheet from heaven God did before Peter and told Peter to arise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, I'm not going to do it. Nothing common or unclean has ever passed over my lips. God told Peter, what I've cleansed, call thou not common or unclean. By that, he perceived that God was sending him to the house of Cornelius. He went down there and began to preach to them folks and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as they did, just as he did on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said they've received the same thing that we have received. We should not hinder them baptism. And he baptized those folks into the kingdom of God and he stood and he recited that before James and all the brethren at Jerusalem. And he said, we perceive by that that God has also granted unto the Gentiles repent unto life. James heard Paul what God was doing through him in Antioch. In his missionary journeys he heard Peter and James made his ruling that we're not going to lay a, a, a burden upon those Gentile converts that we nor our fathers were ever able to bear. We're not going to compel them to be circumcised. All we ask them to do is to remember the poor and to abstain from things strangled and to abstain from blood. And Pete Paul went on to say later, that's the same thing that I was preaching. Paul would say this tonight. The Judaizers may preach to you that the gospel makes you a Jew, but I preach the gospel that says that Jesus Christ makes you a new creation. That the gospel makes you neither Jew nor Gentile. That the gospel gives you a brand new identity, which is in Jesus Christ. And Paul's gospel was not Jesus plus your works or any other religious works, but Paul's gospel was Jesus paid it all and all to Him we owe. That was the gospel that he preached. That we come to Christ by faith, by grace through faith, and we are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, that to add anything to the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is to take away from the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul would say, at the cross where the Son of God died, He secured salvation for everyone who would believe by Himself. He entered into the veil of darkness and drank the cup of God's wrath alone. And when He came out of the darkness, He cried upon that same cross, It is finished. And it is finished tonight for everyone that will believe. And for those who come to Him by faith, the work is done. The work is secured. They are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's the gospel that he had preached to the churches of Galatia. That's the gospel that was settled in Acts chapter 15. And that's the gospel that Paul went from that place, proclaiming everywhere that the Spirit would send him. And right behind him came those Judaizers. 
that enter into a congregation such as these churches and they would say, we know what Paul preached to you, but this is what we're preaching. On top of all that, Paul, really not an apostle. Paul wasn't with us. He wasn't with the Lord in his earthly ministry. He wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. In fact, if you'll remember, he used to be called Saul of Tarsus. And he even consented to the death of one of the church's early deacons. They laid their coats at his feet and he consented unto the death, the stoning of Stephen. He's not a real apostle. He's a Johnny come along lately. He's preaching this radical wild-eyed gospel that does not save. There's, there's, there's nothing to it. There's no outward sign to it. I mean, how can you know that you're truly a child of God without an outward sign? If you don't look a certain way, if you don't act a certain way or do a certain way, how can you call yourself a child of God? That's what he preached, but that's not the truth. This is the true gospel. If you want to be saved, this is what you must do. Now, I would hope that if we were that, if we are as established in the gospel as we claim to be tonight, that if someone were to enter into this congregation and start preaching that kind of gospel, one of you church leaders or several of you church leaders would kindly get up and excuse that man or that person from the congregation and send them on down the road and don't even bid Godspeed. Don't give them a love offering. I believe you would. But these churches drank it up. These churches were attracted to a gospel such as that. I've I postulated and wondered why. I thought to myself, why in the world would they receive such a gospel that calls yourself to be mutilated? A grown adult having to mutilate himself in order to be right with God? A gospel that that calls people to observe certain rituals and diets and days and religious calendars and X, Y, and Z, do this and do that and you'll be right with God. I've often thought to myself, how in the world could they do it? But then look around at our world, beloved. Look around at our religious affiliations in this day. And it seems that man is somehow because of the fall and because of indwelling sin that remains in him, it seems that we are attracted to the gospel, to a gospel that causes us to put forth some effort. And it seems like that we have some kind of instinctual repellent to a gospel of grace that says Jesus did it all. <laughs> if, I, if I could give it to you like this, Men are attracted to a gospel they can understand. Men, women, boys and girls are drawn to a gospel that they can formulate in their mind. And this is what the natural fallen mind says. That in order to be right with God, I must do something myself. It's what Adam thought. It seems like all of his descendants think the same thing. That it makes sense to us that we've got to put forth a little effort, that we have to put some skin in the game as it were. But it goes against our natural man, it goes against our natural mind to simply rest in a crucified Savior who was buried and risen again on the third day, who did the work of God alone, and we simply receive it by faith. 
But that is the gospel. That is it. Now I'm going to tell you, in order to really receive that, it takes an operation of the Holy Spirit. It takes God giving you a new heart. It takes God just unplumbing everything that's wrong in your mind and giving you a new heart and a new spirit to receive that gospel. But oh beloved tonight would somebody agree with me that it is that gospel and that gospel alone that saves from sin, that changes your life, that makes you a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. They drank it up. I want to give you three thoughts. I know I, I, I forgot to start my timer so I don't know how long I've been preaching. That was the introduction. Let me give you, let me give you three things from this text. Verses six through nine, Paul, first of all, is astonished. He says in verse number six, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel. This word that's translated marvel, it might be translated amazed in your copy of the Word of God, it's the same word. It, 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 it's a genius. It, this is not a sarcastic tone. There's often times that Paul would use a sarcastic tone in his letters. There, there, there are times that, such as with the church of Corinth, he'll take a sarcastic tone and, and, and tell them that they may not be suffering like he is, but he said, but I know you're suffering though. He's being kind of sarcastic. They weren't really suffering like he was. This is not a sarcastic word. This is a genuine emotion that Paul is feeling here. It's the same word that, that we come in contact with in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ when people would be genuinely amazed at His miracle working power. You remember oftentimes that, that it was said by Jesus, or said of Jesus, what manner of man is this? They were amazed that He was able to do the things that He did. When He stepped out on the bow of the ship and spoke peace to the winds and the waves, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind obeys His voice? This is genuine amazement. This is shock. This is, this is a genuine emotion of absolute astonishment that Paul is experiencing. I am genuinely amazed. There was... There was three things that he was amazed about in this text. First of all, he was amazed that they were so soon removed. Do you see it there? I marvel that you are so soon. I don't want to labor here too long, but usually apostasy happens over a great amount of time. Usually it's, a, as the old song says, it's a slow fade, right? Usually, little by little, Usually, folks that are raised in churches like this, and of course we know that a lot of, of folks my age and younger, they are apostatizing from the church at, at rapid rates. And, and that's not just something that happens overnight. Usually, somewhere in their childhood, there's a, there's a lack of, uh, a, a, of reinforcement from the family about the gospel that's being preached down at the church. Usually, you know, church is just sort of a, a weekend activity and they're raising up those kids in that environment. And then when they become teenagers, they get exposed to different things and then they go off to college, buddy, and they're opened up to a world of, of ideologies and ways of thinking and worldviews that they've never ever encountered before. And that gets deposited in them and slowly over time, they just come to a point where they say,
say, you know what? I want nothing to do with mom and dad's God. I want nothing to do with that way that I was raised. And they apostatize, but in reality, it's been occurring for a long time. Right? Usually, apostasy takes place over a amount of time. But Paul said, you are so soon removed. I don't mean this humorous. I really don't. But this would be like the same shock and amazement of a man cheating with his wife on the honeymoon. So soon. I mean, I just left your churches. And I preached to you the liberating gospel. I preached to you the truth. Later on in this letter, he would, t- he would ask them, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the flesh? Or did you receive it by the gospel that I preached to you? And the obvious answer was they received the Spirit by the gospel that He preached unto them. Well, the, the, then Paul's response would be, well, if that was the case, if you received the Spirit by the preaching of the faith, then why have you turned back to the works of the flesh? And why would you do it so quickly? Paul is amazed that they are so soon removed. Secondly, he is amazed from whom they were removed. I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ. This Him, I'll not take the time to to work it out. I'm not asking you to trust me, but I'm asking you to go check it yourself. But for sake of time tonight, this Him that they're talking about is not Himself. This is not a... This is not a personal matter to Paul. It is personal, but it's not a personality issue if, you can, if, if I can put it out there like that. It's not, okay, I used to be your pastor and you guys really love me and now that I'm gone and y'all have just fallen in love with this other guy like that and I'm hurt that y'all are listening to him and you're not listening to me anymore. That's not what this is about. Paul is not hurt that they have defected from and abandoned him even though they have. Paul is not taking this personally as a personal insult. The him to which they were removed was not necessarily Paul because ultimately it was not Paul that called them into faith. Paul may have been the mouthpiece. Paul may have been the one who either planted or watered. But do you remember what he told the church at Corinth? There's one that plants and there's one that waters. But if there's anything that comes up, it's God that gives the increase. So ultimately, it may be my voice or Brother Jesse's voice that God uses to call somebody into faith. But if they come to faith, if they are truly saved, it wasn't my voice and it wasn't my preaching ability and it wasn't my personality that wooed them into a profession of faith. It was God the Holy Spirit that called them. And Paul said, you're not abandoning me. You're not defecting from me. You are defecting and you are abandoning and you're being removed from God Himself. Mm. It's God the Holy Spirit that called you into faith. I won't never forget. Can I share this little personal story? I won't never forget one dear sister at our home church. She was 94 years old. Sister Georgie. And a wonderful saint of God. Wonderful Christian lady. Had a very tough life. Had to work very, very hard. She had taught Sunday school there at the church while most of the men 
in the church had went off to war in World War II. She is very knowledgeable of the Scripture. Dear saint of God, precious, one day at 94 years old, she stood up in church and she said, Pastor, can I say something? He said, well, of course, Miss Georgia, you can. And all she said that day, Brother Brad, was this. She said, I wish some of these preachers this day would figure out that salvation is not a scientific formula. It's a miracle of God. And she sat down. You may not look at it tonight. You, you may have lost the amazement of your salvation, but really, beloved, if you're saved tonight, you're a miracle of God. I mean, God exercised the same power in you that He did when He spoke the worlds into existence and more so when He made you a new creature in Christ. And it was Him that did it. And to run after some other gospel is not to abandon the church to whom you belong or the preacher that might have been used by God to call you to faith. It's to abandon God Himself. It's His gospel anyway. So soon removed from whom they were removed. And Paul was astonished to what they were removed. Another gospel. And that leads me to my second point, Paul's assessment of this other gospel. Very simply, verse number 7, it's not another. <laughs> That's Paul's assessment of it. You want to know what I think about that message? That you're calling the gospel? It ain't. It ain't. I mean, he didn't have to have a Greek lexicon. He didn't have to have a commentary to break it down. He just simply heard about what it called its adherents to do. And he said, that's not the good news. What's good news about that? In order to be saved, cut yourself up. And don't eat this and don't do this and don't wear that. In order to be saved, you must be like this. Your identity must be this. That is not another gospel. There's no good news in that. That's actually bondage. I've not called you to bondage, Paul said. I've called you to glorious liberty. I've called you to put away those rudimentary things of the world. To, to put those types and shadows behind you. And to walk in the glorious liberty that Christ has made us free. Later on in this very letter, he would say, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Paul said if that message, whatever it is, puts you under some kind of restriction. Puts you under some kind of bondage. If it makes you a slave, it is not another gospel. The gospel of Christ does not enslave you. It sets you free tonight. It calls you to live in the glorious light of an accomplished work and not to add that work, but to walk in the liberty of that finished work. It's not another gospel. It's a perverted gospel. Boy, Paul, you sure are talking pretty strong. Yeah, he is. But he needs to. It's not another gospel. It's a perverted gospel. And look at what he said. It's not meant to set you free. It's meant to trouble you. There'll be some that would trouble you. It is not another gospel. Now, you and I, we're pretty quick to pick up on when somebody's preaching another Jesus. We can instantly discern that the gospel of Mormonism is not a saving gospel because they preach another Jesus, right? 
They preach a Jesus who is not the Son of God. But our trouble seems to be discerning when someone who looks like us, when someone who walks the walk and talks the talk, when someone who seems sincere is actually preaching another gospel. That seems to be where God's people are really struggling in this day. To pick up on that. I don't know. I I believe you'll agree with me. But I'm just going to say it, okay? If any other man preach unto you a gospel that says you must be baptized in order to be saved, that is another gospel. If anybody tells you that you have to say a certain formula of a prayer in order to be saved, That is another gospel. Kind of getting close to home, ain't we? That's right, though. I had somebody ask me the other day, Brother Ricky, what do I need to pray in order to be? And I hope y'all won't take this the wrong way, okay? It's fine if you want to pray when you get saved. That's fine. But I told this young man that asked me, what do I need to pray in order to be saved? I said, whoever said prayer saves you, period. You can do all the praying you want to. I'm not against praying. I hope y'all know that. I was praying over there before I got up. I'm not again praying. Somebody said, well, I, I told that young man that he just needs to be sincere. Whoever said your sincerity saves you. How do you know you're saved? Well, I was really sin- I really meant it. Fine, that's good. Whoever said your sincerity saves you. That's another gospel. It's Jesus that saves. And Jesus alone. Jesus all by Himself became flesh and bore in His body your sins upon the tree. He Himself suffered what man could do for three hours on the cross They spit upon Him. They slapped Him. They mocked Him. They made fun of Him. They nailed Him to that Roman cross. But after three hours, God put a veil of darkness between His Son and the world and He entered into the winepress of God's wrath alone and drank it up all by Himself. He did it all by Himself. He was buried alone. But on that third and glorious day, He came out of the tomb alone, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and is seated at the right hand of the Father alone. There's no occupant with Him on the throne of God. He sits there enthroned by Himself, saving everyone that comes unto Him to the uttermost, seeing that He lives forever. You either believe in Him or you don't. You either trust Him or you don't. And if you do, you're saved. And if you don't, you're lost. That's the gospel tonight. That's the gospel. He saves alone for His glory. The wind blows where it lists. He moves in. Oh my goodness. He moves in and He does His work when He wants to, when He gets ready. Amen. And one dear preacher from North Carolina said uh, that God does the work in such a manner that you never hear anybody say, hold on, I'm being saved, 
They always say, I'm saved. He does it. Right? From start to finish. He convicts. He draws. He converts. He changes. He makes new creatures. He does it alone. We are simply but recipients of His grace. We add nothing to His saving work. We make it no more or no less. Any powerful, our sincerity does not save us. Our good works do not save us. Christ and Christ alone saves and secures and sanctifies and will glorify everyone that He saves. And any other thing besides that, Paul would say, is not another gospel. And then I close tonight with Paul's anathema. Though we, verse number 8, though we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Pretty strong language. Anathema is that word that's translated accursed. It's the Greek word that simply means devoted for destruction. Paul would say it like this, I think. No matter how sincere they may be, if they preach any other gospel than that, they're devoted and fitted for destruction. That's it. Chris, they really mean it though. They really mean it. They're really sincere about it. Look at him. And he's passionate. He really gets with it and he's preaching. If he preaches any other gospel than what I preached to you tonight, what Paul preached to the Galatians, let him be accursed. Because he is. You can only take people as far as you've ever been. If you're trusting in your works to save you, that's how you'll instruct people. Right? That's how you'll, that's how you'll lead people. You may be sincere about it. You may feel real good about it. You may say, I know this is the right message because of this tingling I got right back here. And these goosebumps that are rising up on my... Boy, that must be God. No, it ain't. It's your religious flesh deceiving you. That's what it is. Let Him be accursed. Let me add secondly, no matter how sincere they are, no matter how supernatural they may seem to be, Paul said, though we or an angel from heaven. Paul may be an arguing from the absurd here. But literally, he's saying, if an angel were to appear tonight, in all of his angelic glory, fire and wings and flaming swords and all these other things, and he was to tell you to that you are saved not by Jesus Christ alone, but by some other, the whole world. I mean, if we, just think about it tonight, okay? If we were to post on Facebook that there was an angelic appearance in Brookside, my goodness gracious, the crowd that would come, right? I mean, you just have a gospel preacher, eh, got other things to do. Praying for them. No, you ain't. <laughs> You're really not. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. We have an angelic appearance here over our mourners' bench, our altar. 
prayer points. Folks would flock to come and hear what that angelic appearance had to say. Paul said, if he says any other thing than what I preach to you, let that angel be accursed. Oh, Chris, you better watch it now. That, that, that guy there, he may be preaching another gospel, but look at the miracles that he does. You better watch it, friend. For even Satan himself is able to transform himself into a minister of light. The man of sin, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, will appear with all deceivableness, signs and miracles and wonders. But he opposes himself to everything that's called God and exalteth himself against God. Paul said, I don't care how supernatural they are. I don't care if they make bread appear out of thin air or if they rain gold dust down on your congregation. I don't care if they're, if they're claiming to heal folks on the platform from various miracles and diseases. If they're preaching some other gospel than what I've preached to you, they are accursed, fit for destruction. May we take that same appetite, that same attitude, I should say, toward the gospel. The church for so long has been zealous over things that doesn't matter. We fought and argued about things that have no eternal significance about them whatsoever. And I think one of the problems, and I'm closing, one of the things I've observed, having been a son of the South my whole life, and in these Bible Belt churches, Brother Jesse, it's not, it's not some other dude coming in and preaching some other gospel that's our big issue. But I'm going to tell you what our big issue is. It's assuming the gospel. It's assuming that everybody knows it and everybody understands it. And since we've got that settled, we're going to move on to fight about other things. And all the while, we're doing that. All the while we're doing that, most of the time, the average here on our Baptist benches, when you ask them what is the gospel, they can't tell you. They don't know. We've assumed it. We've thought it. We've, 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 just, we've just thought and kind of checked the box and said, there it is, they've got it, we're good to go. Let's argue about other things. And all the while they ain't got it and they're going to hell. Right? Right? May God help us to be zealous about the gospel, to be warriors for God's gospel. Everybody stand, please. Let me pray for you, and I'll turn the service to Brother Jesse. He'll carry it out however he sees fit. Father, thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Seal these truths up to our hearts. Help us to be a people that are zealous for the gospel, that preach the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, according to the Scriptures, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Help us to declare Him and Him alone. That message and that message alone saves. and Nothing else will. Thank You for this pastor that loves the Gospel. Thank You for this church that loves the Gospel. Thank You for Dr. Carr that's coming that loves the Gospel. For Brother Cameron that loves the Gospel. Help us to never grow beyond it, to go beyond it, to want, to, to desire something more than your glorious, saving gospel. Please, Lord, do a work among us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, brother. He preached enough truth to save the world tonight. He sure did. He made it exactly clear what God has done in Christ to save us from our sins. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I don't know where this message finds you tonight. I would like to believe that all of us here have heard most of this probably most of our lives. But there's something that happens in us because of just our sin, like he said, the plumbing in our mind that's all gone wrong. And we can hear it our whole lives and never hear it. Y'all, I grew up in church. I never heard the gospel until I was 17 years old and heard it every Sunday of my life. Have you ever heard it the way he preached it tonight? Not things you do to earn God's approval, but what God has done for you in Christ to save so that he comes to you with a message that is good news. That's what the word gospel means. Paul says we don't preach the bad news of religious advice. We don't throw a yoke on you. We come to you with an announcement, a story, a promise. It is finished. It's done. Christ has done it in your stead. Look to Him and be free. You heard that and you believed it. Like our brother preached tonight. We live in an age when there's so much confusion and the great need we have in churches maybe maybe a lot of things we need but the one need we have is gospel clarity that's it we fight about so many other things but what we need is to lift up the banner of the cross it would be good it would be good for you tonight as we sing this song to pray either in your place or in your altar God make Sharon Heights Baptist Church a place that's always near the cross our preaching and our singing our praying everything we do God let us always be looking out to the crucified Son of God, risen in power to save. Jesus, keep us near the cross. Let's sing this together tonight. If you need to respond, the altar is open. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There second verse together tonight, um, but before we before we do, I just want you to think about the words. Can we go ahead? Are they up there? Can we put the next, the next verse? Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. I'll tell you where I met love and mercy. I met love and mercy at 6335 Benfield's Boat Landing Road in Nebo, North Carolina. I'll tell you, that's the Gilead Baptist Church. But it was at the cross where I met love and mercy. One Wednesday night after prayer meeting, God brought the truth of the gospel to my heart. And He gave me faith by grace to look away to Jesus who did it all for me. And every time I sing this song, I think about where the Son of God, the bright morning star, 
shed his beams around me, wrapped his arms around me, and made me his. So I want to sing this verse. And it may be in a different time, a different place. You may not know. It could be tonight. But I want you to think back to that place where love and mercy found you while we sing this hymn.